together. I want you to grab a Bible, turn it to John chapter 8, page 868, and the Bible's in the chairs. If you don't have a Bible, you can have that one. It's our gift to you. If you don't own a newer version of the Bible, you can have it. Take that with you. It might be easier to understand than grab the note page out of your program. It's going to be helpful to take some notes as we kind of race through some things today. As you're doing that, a raise of hands. How many of you, your final four is still alive in your bracket? Raise your hand if there's anybody. I had one last service. I had one. All four of the final four teams you picked are still alive. Raise your hand. Okay. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just keep your hand down. Okay. Uh, somebody up here said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. Okay. But okay, here's the deal. Uh, it's been a discouraging year. It's humbling, right? Here's the way we do it in our house, right? We have seven people that do the brackets, Gregory NCAA uh, basketball brackets. And so uh, Jennifer, myself, we got three kids. Joel is married to Jessica, so we make Jessica fill one out. And then as many of you know, some of you may not know this, that my mother-in-law lives with us as well. And so we make her fill one out. And it's like, she's always sitting there like, now how do I, and who's this, and what colors are uniforms, stuff like that. And so I'm not kidding, man. It's like, and uh, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're down. We're getting close to the final four. And winning in the Gregory tournament is my mother-in-law and my wife. That's who's winning, right? It's just not fair, right? It's very, very humbling. Yes, yes. Congratulations. She's sitting here, and she likes to win, by the way, okay? But um, we said this uh, it, We said this last week. In this 24-7 news cycle that we're in, a lot of us are old enough to remember when 6 o'clock and 11 o'clock is when you caught the news, right? But we're in a 24-7 news cycle, and we said there's a new term in this 24-7 news cycle called fake news. Fake news is just something that's reported as true, but it's actually false, and it's maybe reported as true for different reasons, maybe nefarious, maybe to kind of cut somebody else's point of view down or whatever the case may be, but it gets reported as true. But here's what happens a lot of times with fake news. It gets reported as true, then it gets repeated as true, and then it gets believed as true. That's what happens a lot of times with fake news, and so you just assume that it's true. And we said that it might be new terminology, right, but it certainly is not a new phenomenon. I've had a lot of fun with this, that there are things that we have even been taught in American history or throughout our life that we just embraced it as true that, quite frankly, is not true. I came across a couple others this last week, and I'm going to destroy, I've been destroying people's uh, thoughts all, all morning about baseball. Because raise your hand if you like baseball. I just want to see your hand. Okay, you love baseball. And so I grew up, you grew up, that the one who invented baseball, the American pastime, his name is Abner Doubleday. And that makes for, bless you, that makes for a great story, but it doesn't make for a true story. That actually, if you look at the facts of the story, Abner Doubleday did not invent baseball, and he may not have had anything to do with baseball, yet we kind of pass on the legend that he was the inventor of the game such that uh, we in Cooperstown have the Hall of Fame that serves as baseball because we think that somehow it's connected to Abner Doubleday. When the truth is, baseball was around long before Abner Doubleday. In fact, they have documents that go back to 1778, which is before Doubleday, that talk of them playing a game that is very much like baseball. And whereas we like to think about it as the American pastime, 
Truth be told, it's something that probably evolved from the British games of rounders and crickets, right? And so uh, Abner Doubleday was not the inventor of baseball. The other one that I found out, this will destroy some of you, all, all you young gals in there, this will destroy. How many of you, raise your hand if you know what this is a picture of. Just, I want to know who I'm talking. Raise your hand, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you have no idea what this is a picture of. Okay, some of you. Raise your hand if, if you have never seen the movie with this picture. Raise your hand. I want to see who I'm talking to, right? All right. Hey, I'm proud of you guys, right? If you've never seen the movie, you don't have a little girl, right? This is Pocahontas, right? And the story is kind of a love story, kind of pitter-pat like that, because Pocahontas falls in love with John Smith. That sounds like a great story if the story was true. But the story isn't actually true. First of all, the name Pocahontas is actually a nickname, and that nickname means something close to spoiled child is what it means, right? Her real name, I can't pronounce, but the truth is uh, she was the daughter of a chief. That was true, but we can categorically deny that there was any romantic relationship between Pocahontas and John Smith. She actually married a guy named John Rolfe. And she returned with him to England. And even that marriage may not have been based on love. It may have been something that she did simply to bargain for and buy her freedom. The whole story of her falling in love with John Smith, some believe maybe was made up as a lie to somehow attempt to undermine his authority. Here's the deal. Things get reported as true. They get repeated as true. Eventually, we just assume they're true, and it's pretty inconsequential what you believe about Pocahontas. It's pretty inconsequential what you believe about the inventor of baseball, but what is very consequential is what you believe about Jesus. In fact, we said last week, it's probably the most important thing about you, what you believe about Jesus. And why that is important is is that many people, even in the room, in our culture, in our society have this idea that comes to their head when they think about Jesus. We live in a world where most people have heard of Jesus. But the problem with that is, whereas most people recognize the name Jesus, have heard of Jesus, that when the name Jesus comes, all kinds of different pictures come to our brain. And those different pictures come to our brain because there have been different things reported about Jesus that have been repeated about Jesus that eventually we embrace about Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. In fact, we threw some of those pictures up last week, and some of these may be what you think about Jesus. I don't know if I could walk you through a couple of those, right? (laughs) Top left-hand corner, right? Top left-hand corner. For some of you, that's your picture of Jesus, right? Stoic Jesus, we called him, right? Some of you grew up, and that was the picture you had. You grew up in a a church where there's orthodox liturgy and all that kind of stuff. And, and, And so that's the Jesus picture you had, and you're not even sure if he likes people, right? Most of the people that I've talked to, the the next picture in top row is, is kind of the traditional shows up in your living room picture of Jesus, right? How many of you have ever seen that picture? Second in from the left? Yeah. And so a lot of people just assume, well, Jesus must look like that, right? And, and then I Googled this. If you, what's the next one, right? Well, if you Google Republican Jesus, that's what he would look like, right? There it is. If you ever wondered, that's it. You can Google it. I had a lot of fun. Thumbs up, Jesus. Down here on the bottom row, left-hand corner, right? right? Uh, that's interesting, right? But that is boyfriend Jesus. And it's a, you can Google it, man. It's crazy. I wish I was kidding, right? But it's there. You have black Jesus. You have hippie Jesus. What's the point? You have all these pictures of Jesus, which is why I wanted to do this series. Because there's a lot of confusion. Your picture may not be up there, 
But I wanted to do this series because it's important that we understand who Jesus is. And so what I wanted to do was not simply look at what was reported and repeated about Jesus. I wanted to go to the source himself. I wanted to go right from his mouth and say, who did Jesus say he was? That's why your Bibles are open to the book of John. The reason they're open to the book of John is seven times in John, Jesus said, I am fill in the blank. He said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm not going to leave you in the dark and I'm going to fill in the blanks. And so what we decided to do was we decided to simply say, well, what if we spent the next several weeks saying, let's look at who Jesus said he was. And we started last week. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go online and listen. I'd encourage you to download the Grace app and check it out. But we said that last week, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we said that when he said that, there was a powerful pungent meaning to that. He had something explosive he wanted them to hear. He said, I am the bread of life. This morning, we're in John chapter 8, and here's what we're going to see. Ready? Here's what we're going to see. You can fill in your blanks. I'll give you the answer before we look at it. Jesus in John 8 is going to say, I am the light of the world. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then I want you to take your Bibles because I'm going to read a chunk of Scripture out of John 8. We're going to begin in verse 12. If you don't feel comfortable using a Bible, that is A-OK. You can follow with me on the screen, but here's what it says, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees, and if you're newer to the Bible, you're like, what is that? These were guys that were really, really religious, and they really, really prided themselves on keeping the law. So they wanted to put on a good front. So they challenged Jesus and they said, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. You have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. He says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. Check this out. I stand with the father who sent me. And then he looks at them and he says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Begs a question. Verse 19, they ask him, well, where is your father? Jesus says, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. It's interesting. Then verse 20 sounds like an add-on. Stay with me on this. Verse 20 sounds like, well, it's just like useless information. You're going to find before the end of the day that verse 20 is so important for us to understand where we're going today. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus says this. Let's, let's kind of get some context. He says, I'm the light of the world. Chances are this, that some of you, some of you grew up in church and you're like, I've heard that, Right? I've seen it on a bumper sticker, on a sign. I've heard people talk about it. There's songs about it. Even if you didn't grow up in church, there is a high level of probability that you heard this. Light of the world, okay? It's a pretty common description of Jesus. And here's what I know, that all we got to do is think about the metaphor or the picture of light, and we can draw conclusions about what he means, Like light has certain things that it means in our culture. And so we can kind of come to a conclusion about what he means just by how light 
is used in our culture. Let me, let me give you a for instance. Raise your hand if you've ever watched Star Wars. Raise your hand. I'm going to see who I'm talking to, okay? Well, you know in Star Wars that light represents what? Good over the darkness of evil. So light represents good. Don't go to the dark side. It represents evil, right? And so in our culture, the picture of light is something that denotes good versus something that's dark and evil. But that's not all it means. Light in our culture also means understanding. If you're a teacher in the room, you love it. When you're students, this is what you say when the lights go on, right? What's happening? All of a sudden, the people who were naive have understanding. Their ignorance or what they didn't know, they have understanding. I found this quote, Ann Sullivan, my heart is singing for joy this morning. A miracle has happened. The light of understanding has shone upon my little pupil's mind, and behold, all things are changed. It means understanding, the light of understanding. So light represents good over evil. Light can mean understanding over naivety, right? And light can also mean something that was hidden is now exposed. Let's show that next picture. Raise your hand if you know what movie this is from. I want to see who I'm talking to. Okay, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you have no idea. Like, what is that? Right? That's Dave. You need to get out, okay? Here's the deal, okay? This is from the movie Beauty and the Beast, right? And this is Belle, and uh, she kind of gets in this castle. There's this beast. He looks awfully scary. And at some point, she asks him to come into the what? Light. What does she want? She wants to see the truth about who he is, what he looks like. She wants to see it in all of its reality. Light in our culture has that connotation. It's like something that was in the dark, don't keep me in the dark, bring it in the light. And so here's the deal. That picture means something in our culture. It means much more than that. And we could, ready, stay with me on this. I'm so excited about what I'm getting ready to tell you. We could simply look at Jesus' comment, I'm the light of the world, and we could somehow... Put it against what our culture says about light, and we could come up with pretty close to what he meant. Jesus is good over evil. Good. Or we could like, you know, Jesus, right? He is the source of understanding. Good. But here's the deal. If that's all we did, you ready? If you'll stay with me for the next 15 minutes, I promise you, you'll see what I'm saying. If that's all we did, you and I would miss the power of what he's saying here. There is something going on here when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that quite frankly gets missed a lot. Because Jesus says, I am the light of the world, you ready? And he says it to a specific group of people. He says it in a certain place at a specific time. He has a particular group of people he's talking to. He says it in a specific place that's mentioned, and he says it at a certain time. And when you put all those things together, I promise you, when he says, I am the light of the world, it explodes with meaning. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Let's start with the people. He has a particular group of people that he's talking to. And, and it's important for us to know who he's talking to. Verse 12 of chapter 8 says that he was talking to the people. And so who were the people that he was talking to? Well, if you were here last week, you know this. In John 6... Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He's like celebrity status, right? And so he's got a crowd of about 25,000 people that he feeds with a little boy's lunch. It's a fascinating story, right? But then he begins to teach them some things that aren't easy for them to swallow. 
And so he starts off with a crowd of 25,000. By the end of chapter 6, he ends up with a crowd of, do you remember? 12. All of a sudden, he's saying things that's causing people to like question and wonder and so on and so forth. They're like, we're not sure. And they begin to draw questions about who Jesus really is such that when you get to John chapter 7, verse 1, look at what it says. John 7, just take your eyes over there. I want you to see this. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. The tone has changed. Here's the deal. When you get to John chapter 7, Jesus is talking, when he says, I'm the light of the world, to a crowd of people, and he has mixed reviews. They're debating about who he is. They're arguing about who he is. There's confusion. The Jewish leaders, they want to kill him. His own brothers sarcastically say to him, hey, if you're really a king, why don't you go public with this thing? Put a banner out, man. Have everybody kind of come around you, right? They're very, being very sarcastic. You can read it in John 7. The crowd is so mixed that some of them in the crowd, if you read John 7, are saying, that Jesus, he's a liar. And there's others that are saying, what? He's not a liar. He's a good man. In the crowd in John 7, there were some that were so, so frustrated with Jesus. They said, he's demon-possessed. That's what they said. There were others in the crowd. They said, what? Demon-possessed? Demon he's the Messiah. Such that when you get to chapter 7, verse 43, look at what it says, 743. It says, the people were divided because of Jesus. Look here a second. There are some things that are not new under the sun. That sounds like our culture today. There are many different pictures and opinions about Jesus. Jesus is talking to a crowd that is giving him mixed reviews. Some think he's demon-possessed. Some think he's a liar. Some think, well, he's just a good man. And there's others that think he's the Messiah. Some want to kill him. Some are being sarcastic with him. And here's what you need to know. The place, the place is buzzing with people. The place is teeming. There are people everywhere. You're saying, Dan, how do you know that? Well, if you look at verse 2, chapter 7. Jesus said this at a particular time, not to, just to a particular group of people. And here's what he said, verse 2. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. Look here a second. I grew up, I grew up going to church. And when, and, and when teachers and preachers start talking about festivals and feasts and all that stuff in the Old Testament. Look here. Don't judge me, but look here a second. You know what I did? Boop. I just tune out. <laughs> Like, it just didn't grab my interest. I'm like, I don't understand it. It's confusing. It's like, what in the world? If you'll give me five minutes, I promise you, all of a sudden, this is going to make sense. I promise you. Because he says, I am the light of the world, and the Feast of Tabernacles is going on. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, that is a, the Jewish people were gathering together to celebrate and commemorate something very specific in their history. And they did it a very specific way. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating the fact that God delivered their forefathers from Egypt. Some of you watched The Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie, right? right? Okay, that whole deal. 
And when he delivered them from Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for, anybody know? 40 years. And when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they didn't have a permanent home. So they lived in tents or tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles is a moment, a week in the fall, one week in the fall, when they would have made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would celebrate, they would celebrate the journey of their forefathers through the wilderness when they lived in tents. They would celebrate and commemorate that by living in tents for a week. It was like a week long camp out, right? I mean, it's awesome. If you're a kid, you're like, I like that one, right? Not only that, this gets better. So the place is buzzing with people. They all got their tents. They're having this this week-long camp out, remembering their forefathers. Every day during that week, you with me? Every day, the priest, you ready? The priest would go to this special pool called the Pool of Siloam. And they would get water from that pool. And they would bring that, what are you laughing at, man? I said this every service, every time I say water. I'm going to tell you guys something. That's the way you say it in Hebrew. You say it, water. (laughs) The priest would bring this water and they would pour it beside the altar during this week. Why? Why? It just seems like a crazy, trivial ritual. No, because they would remember that when the Israelites were running around in the wilderness those 40 years, they got thirsty, and God provided them with drink. How did he provide them with drink? Out of a rock in the wilderness. And so every day, they're living in tents. They're remembering their forefathers who had temporary housing in tents. God provided for them. This water from a rock, every day they would pour by the altar, but that's not all. It gets better. Look at your Bibles at chapter 8, verse 20. Chapter 8, verse 20. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. I used to read that and like, okay, cool, I don't get that. And that makes this whole thing pop. Jesus says, I am the light of the world during the Feast of Tents. Jesus says, I am the light of the world when they are celebrating how God provided and led them through the wilderness. And he says it in the temple courts where the offerings were put. That tells me something. Let me show you a picture. This would have been a picture of the layout of the temple. Stay with me on that. I used to tune out when people did this. Stay with me. It is so cool. There are several courts in the temple. You have the court of women. You have the court of Gentiles. You have the temple courtyard, the court of Israel, the court of priests going into the holy of holies. Here's what we know from the temple. That the offering receptacles or the places they would have given their offering, there would have been 13 of them, would have been in the court of women. Jesus is making this statement, I am the light of the world in the court of women where people would have been giving their offering. It would have been the place where there would have been masses of people. There would have been a huge hubbub, but that's not all. Guess what? In the court of women during the festival of tents or tabernacles, they had four giant candelabras. And every night, Just as this picture depicts, the priest would go and light 
those candelabras such that historians would say you could see the light on the city for miles. And Jesus stands in the court that you see there underneath the candelabras where those lit, those things are lit. And he says, I am the light of the world. Why would they light those candelabras? They would light those candelabras so as to never forget how God guided them and showed up during the journey in the wilderness. How did he do that? Exodus chapter 13. By day... The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What's going on here? You ready? Let's bring it all together. What's going on here? This, when I got this this week, it popped for me. I almost couldn't wait till Sunday to tell you this. Here's what's going on. In this week-long festival of tents, these people are living in tents, Jesus shows up. Who's Jesus? John 1 says this. Jesus is the word became flesh who dwelt. That word is pitched his tent among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, John says, is God who pitched his tent with us. So God who pitches his tent with us is showing up to the festival of tents. Not only that, in John 7, in the middle of this thing, Jesus stands up and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Jesus is God who pitched his tent. And then he stands up and says, you're bringing this water. You want to remember how God provided so to quench your thirst. I am the rock who will quench your spiritual thirst forever. That's what he's saying. And then he stands up underneath these candelabras where they would have lit the candelabras. They would have seen this light for miles. And he says this, I am the light of the world. And everybody, everybody who heard him would have known exactly what he was saying. That's why, that's why it says what it says in verse 20, chapter 8. It says in chapter 20, verse, chapter 8, verse 20, no one seized him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Why is that in there? Because at the moment he stood up and said, I am the light of the world, they would have known that he was pointing to what the old preacher Isaiah said when he was prophesying about the Messiah. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. Look at this. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. Look here a second. Jesus stands underneath these candelabras where they would have remembered the glory, the guidance, and the presence of God with their forefathers. And he says, I am the light of the world. And they would have known at that moment, he was saying, I'm the one that passage is talking about. I'm him. 
I'm the light of the world. It begs the question then. The question it begs is this. Jesus is the light of the world. And so it begs the question for you and I today, what does it mean? We've got to ask, what's it mean? And I think there's two things that it means that I think are very, very powerful. I want you to write them down. I want to flesh them out for you. First, it means this. If Jesus is the light of the world, it means that he is saying to us, I will deliver you from your darkness. I will deliver you from your darkness. That's what he's saying. He's literally saying that without me, there is no life. That apart from me, you will live in darkness. He's saying where there is no light, there is no life. And he's saying that without me, you will spend, ready? You will spend your days living in the dark dungeon of yourself and your sin. That's what he's saying. I'm the light of the world. And he's saying just as God was the, the, the light that, that, that led the Israelites out of the darkness of their slavery, just as, as he was the light that led them through the wilderness, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world that delivers you from the prison of your sin, from the slavery of your shame. That's why John says this in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. Word was with God. That's Jesus. Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life. Why? That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I will deliver you out of your darkness, begs this question, how? Because up until now, it just sounds like, well, that's kind of church stuff. How does Jesus, as the light of the world, do that? And I think there's several things I want you to write down. First is this. He does it because he reveals the truth. Light reveals. You already know that about light, right? One thing you and I know about light is that light reveals. If I don't know what's happening in the dark, what do I do? I turn the light on, right? Light reveals. It tells me what's going on. If I have a broken arm... What does the doctor do? He puts it under the light of the x-ray so that he can see what's happening. It reveals what's going on. Jesus is saying this, I'm the light of the world. If you come to me, I'm the light that reveals the truth about you. It's not going to be found in the self-help books. It's not going to be found in what other people say. It's not even going to be found in your... He said, I will be the light that reveals the truth about you. When I come to Jesus, the light, he reveals my darkness. He exposes my need. Look, look here. Some of you are like, that's why I don't come to Jesus. Because it's like, oh, man, I know there's a bunch of crud in there. And I don't know that I want... Right? Listen. You know what you already know about light? You know this because you, most of you experienced it this morning. If you're in the dead of sleep in your dark bedroom and somebody comes and they flip the light on, right? What do you know about light? Light always hurts before it helps, right? You see, a lot of people don't want to know the true news. They just want to know the good news. And here's the deal. Jesus will reveal to me the truth about who I really am. That I am in a dark dungeon. That, that, that I live in shadows of shame. But that's not all he reveals. Look here. 
See, Jesus doesn't just reveal the truth about me. Jesus reveals the truth about God. You need to hear this this morning. He reveals the truth about God. And the reason some of you are hesitant about coming to Jesus is because you have this idea of who God is. And you think if I come to the light, he's going to embarrass me. If I come to the light, he's going to hurt me. If I come to the light, if I come to Jesus, he's going to turn his back on me when he really sees who I am. And here's the deal. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Come to the light. You don't know the truth about God because he reveals the truth and he is waiting to rescue with grace. That's who Jesus is. He's the light of the world. In fact, it's why John says what he says in John 1.14. John 1.14, he says, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals the truth and he rescues with grace. And I think of a story that illustrates that as well as any story that I've ever heard. You'll see in your Bibles that right before John chapter 8 verse 12, there's John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. Truth is, whatever Bible you're looking at, for some of you it's italicized and it's really small. For some of you it's not even in there. And there's this little footnote that says, well, we're not sure, right? And so I think it's just best that we talk about why is that different? And I'll tell you why. The New Testament was something that was originally written in Greek. And we have the manuscripts in John 8, you ready? 1 through 11 aren't found in the earliest of manuscripts that we found. Yet as you study it, most scholars, most Bible scholars would tell you this, that there is not any question as to whether it happened. They just can't figure out where to put it. They're not sure where does it put, and they, they wonder, did somebody add it later trying to fit it in somewhere? And yet when I read the story, I think, man, this is a great place for this story to show up because this story illustrates Jesus' light of the world. If you've never heard the story... It's fascinating. The story goes like this. Some of the religious leaders and Jewish religious people found a woman. Not just any woman. They found a woman who was having an affair. But they didn't just find her. It says this, that they caught her. Let this shock you for a second. They caught her in the act of adultery. That means what you think it means. And when they caught her in the act of adultery, the way that they decided to go about dealing with that was they drug her from the shadows of her secret and shame. And they drug this woman out into broad daylight, totally exposed, for all to know, for all to see. The Bible seems to point to the fact that they didn't just drag her out. I find it fascinating that the guy is not mentioned. It's interesting. They didn't just drag her out, but they brought her specifically to Jesus. And they didn't just bring her to shame and humiliate her, but they had a pocket full of rocks. You read it. Because in their law, in their rules, so to speak, it said that anybody who was doing that should be stoned to death. 
And so they drug her, caught in the act of adultery. They had their stones in their pocket. They're ready. And they say to Jesus, hey, uh, what are you going to do? I love Jesus. He very rarely answers question directly. And the Bible says if you have ever read the story that Jesus bent down and he started writing in the dirt. <laughs> I have no idea what he was writing in the dirt. Anybody who tells you they know, they're fooling you. I have some ideas and guesses of what it is that he maybe did. I have no idea, but he wrote in the dirt. But here's what I do know. Eventually he stood back up. And the moment he stood back up, these guys had no idea what's getting ready to happen because they drug this woman out of the secrecy of her shame, out of the shadows of her guilt, and they put her in broad daylight. But what they did not know, stay with me, don't miss this. This is so freeing. What they did not know, they thought they were dragging her into the light, and yet what they did was bring her to the light of the world. And with one comment, Jesus turned the lights on. He looks at them, holding their rocks in hand. He said, go ahead. Have at it. One condition. Let the one among you who is without sin, let him go first. You see, the light of the world reveals the truth because at that moment, from the oldest to the youngest, from the oldest to the youngest, those fellows dropped their rocks in a pile until all of them left. I like to think to myself that was a very tender moment because it's just Jesus and this woman and I can almost see him stooping down in her humiliated state. My guess is her eyes are closed waiting and wondering when it's going to happen, when that moment is going to be. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? I can almost picture this woman Nowhere. You're the only one left. The only one who could throw a stone, the only one without sin, says this to her Neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. He reveals the truth. You're living a life of sin, but I'm not here to condemn you. I have come to rescue you. The only way Jesus could say that. How can he say that? Is he letting her off the hook? No way, no how. The only, the only way he can say that is because in six months, in six months, in six months, he's going to exchange that pile of rocks for a cross where he's going to die for her sin and the sins of the world. Jesus is the light of the world who reveals the truth and then he rescues with grace. There's something else that story tells me, and that's this. That because he's the light of the world, he also repels some people. Don't miss that in the story. That when Jesus made that statement as the light of the world, all of those religious leaders that drug her out of her shadows, what did they do? They scurried back to the shadows of their hypocrisy and their religion 
and they begin to live out the rest of their life in the shadows that they came from. You know what that tells me? You and I cannot this morning be neutral about Jesus. He is the light of the world. And he says, I will deliver you from your darkness. I'll tell you the truth. I'll reveal what's true. But when I do, I am ready, eager, and I've done everything necessary to rescue you with grace. One more thing. He says, I'll deliver you from darkness. But look at verse 12, and then I've got I to gotta land this plane. Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, I want you to see this. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, whoever follows, if you write in your Bibles, and I suggest you do, circle that word follows. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you write in your Bibles, I would circle the word life. Circle the word follows and the word life. Here's why. Because the word follows, I did this to you last week, a little English lesson, is a present active participle. It's like, what is that, right? Here's all it means. It's not something that just happens once and is over. Well, all that means is this. Jesus says this, whoever follows and keeps following, keeps on following. It's a continuous action. He says, whoever does that will have the light of life. He doesn't say you're just going to have air to breathe, stay alive. He uses a word there that isn't bios, life, I have physical life. The word he uses there is whoever does that will have this abundant quality of life. Why? Because you're walking with the light. What is Jesus saying? He says, I will not only deliver you from your darkness, I will lead you into life. I'm the light that delivers and I'm the light that guides. That's what he's saying. Jesus says, I'm the light and I'm on the move. Follow me. Stay with me. Trust me. You should not nor can you do life without me. The only way for you to experience life that is really life is to walk in the light. Guys, look here a second. And if we're honest, some of us in this room are like, Dan, I am a Christian. I have been delivered from the darkness. But if we're honest, you ready? There are some of us, we've quit walking with the light. Some of us would be like, I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer. I went through the, but we've stopped. We stopped walking with the light. And now fear has taken over. Confusion. Now we're getting ready to fall off a cliff or run into a wall, whatever the case may be, because we find ourselves trying to do life in the dark. And he says, whoever follows and continues following will experience life. And some of us have quit walking with the light because we had this promise of life that was found somewhere else. And if that's you this morning, chances are there's some of you in the room that you've stopped walking with the light. If that's you this morning, then maybe you need to ask yourself one of two questions. Maybe there's one of two questions you need to ask yourself. Maybe you need to ask yourself, have I decided to go my own way? Have I decided, yes, I accepted Jesus. I prayed the prayer. I got baptized, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make up my own mind. I know Jesus got stuff to say, but I'm going to trust what I have to say more than what Jesus has to say. You see, here's the deal. There's some of us, we quit walking with the light. And you know why? Because we make decisions 
in a lot of different ways. Some of you in the room, this is the way you make decisions. You're like, I just got to trust my heart on this. Stay with me. You're like, man, I got to do what my heart tells me to do, Dan. Listen, stop it. Don't trust your heart. Don't. Don't. You're like, what? Don't. Why? Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart is deceptive and deceitful, and it's wicked. It'll trick you. And Jesus said, trust the light. Walk with me. Because sometimes I might have you walk in places that your heart wouldn't tell you to go, maybe. I don't know. Some of you, you've gone your own way because I've talked to people. I've talked to people like this all the time. They say, i got to do what's right for me, Dan. That might be right for you, but i got to do what's right for me. Quit doing what's right for you. Because Proverbs 14, 12, you know what it says? There's a way that seems right to a man that leads to what? Destruction. Some of you have stopped and you've gone your own way because here's the deal. I hear this all the time, particularly from young adults, teenagers, whatever. It's like, because it's different today. It's just different today. And this is what the culture is doing. And this, the Bible says this, that our culture has been blinded, lives in darkness. Our hearts are hard. And so what happens is we make decisions following people that are walking around in the dark. And Jesus says, I want you to walk with the light. You see, some of you have gone your own way. You've made up your own mind. You're, you're walking your own path. And you find yourself in a dark spot. Some of you have done that relationally. You're like, man, I'm just going to follow my heart. Some of you are doing that sexually. I've got to do what's right for me. I've got to follow my heart on this. It just seems right. And, you're, and, and so sexually, like, Dan, really? It's a different day. And Jesus is saying, no, I so bad want you to have abundant quality life. Walk with the light. But Dan, man, that looks really like what? Come on. And Jesus is like, walk with the light. Guys, listen, some of you are doing this parentally. You're like, what? Yeah, the culture's telling you how to raise your kids. And I'm not picking and I'm not criticizing, but, but the culture's telling you that you've got to have your kids in everything under the blazing sun. You're busier than a one-armed paper hanger in a windstorm, and you have no time to get the light of the world into the conversation in your home. And you know it. it doesn't, you're not a bad person, but, but you're like, man, i got to do this first. And then, listen, when then comes... He said, walk with me. Walk with me. I wish, and I'd never do this, that if I played some conversations in my office that I have, they're heartbreaking. People who have come to Christ, and then they've turned their back. They're like, man, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to trust my heart. I'm going to do what seems right to me. I'm going to follow what culture says. And they end up back in my office like, Pastor Dan, I've hit a wall. Pastor Dan, I'm in the dark. Pastor Dan, I'm in a ditch. Pastor Dan, how do I find my way back? And Jesus is saying, I'm the light. Some of you, maybe that's not the question you need to ask. Maybe you need to ask, have I stopped moving? (laughs) Have I stopped moving? Because Jesus says this, I'm light of the world. Follow. Listen, Jesus is the light that's on the move. He's on the move. And so here's the deal. You can fill your head full of knowledge about the Bible and still not listen to Jesus. 
I know people who know more about the Bible than I ever will, but are not obeying him, trusting him. They stop giving their life away. They stop investing in others. They stop sharing their faith. They stop trusting God with their finances. They're like, they can quote verse and they can quote chapter and they can give me all kinds of theological things, but they've stopped. Some of you have stopped because you're depressed. Some of you are stopped because you're afraid. Some of you are stopped because you said, I put in my time. Some of you are stopped because somebody in some church somewhere ticked you off. I understand. I've had people in churches tick me off. I get it. And it makes you want to stop. You're like, I don't want to go anymore. And Jesus is like, no, I know, I know, I know. Walk with the light. Some of you know exactly the step of obedience he wants you to take. You know exactly where he wants you to go. You know exactly, but you stopped. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I am the only light that's going to lead you to life. So it begs the question, what do I do? And I'm going to ask Aiden and the band to set up, and we're going to sing a song, and I'd love for nobody to leave if at all possible. What do I do if Jesus is the light of the world? And here's what I believe, that Jesus was not just the light of the world then, he is now. And if he's here today as light of the world, he very much wants you to know he's the light of the world. And if he's the light of the world, here's what I know. For some of you in the room, he's inviting you this moment right now. You know it. You know it. You know it. You know it. He's inviting you to step out of the dark into the light. You can relate with a woman. Nobody drug you here today, but you can relate because you know if they put on the screen my life, my thoughts, and what I've been up to, I'd be mortified. I get it. I get it. And yet here's the tricky part. Jesus already knows. He already knows. And he says, come into the light. Because when you do, you're going to find a light that's ready to rescue. There is no life outside of the light of the world. For some of you, you need to make that decision for the first time right now. Say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be the light in my life, the light that reveals to me the truth about my sin and the light that rescues me. The only way he can do that is when I acknowledge he took my place on the cross. It's the only way. There's a whole bunch of you in the room. You're like, I've said yes to Jesus, but you've stopped moving. You're checking things out your own way. You're going your own path. You're like, man, I'm following my heart. I'm doing what's right. And Jesus says, keep walking in the light. He's like, this morning, I want you to keep walking in the light. And some of you are like, but it's really hard. My life is so hard. Listen to me. The Israelites for 40 years, when they walked in the wilderness, guess what? None of it was easy. And yet God's glory and his presence and his protection was there. And Jesus says, I know, some of it's going to be hard. I want you to walk with the light. Some of you have strayed so far from Jesus. You're like, what do I do? He says, I want you to walk into the light. I want you to confess what's going on. You're going to meet there the light of the world who's ready to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world.
Without me, there is no life. So, Father, as we close with a song and dismiss, I pray that you'd finish the message in our heart wherever it needs to be. God, I pray that you would not leave us the same, though. Don't let us walk out of here the same. But I pray that for those in the room that need to step out of darkness into light, they would take that step this morning. God, I pray for friends who have stopped walking in the light, that they would keep walking in the light this morning. I thank you, Jesus, light of the world. 